Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And Martha in particular is feeling the pressure and she had only one person to help her and that was Mary. But where's Mary? Well, Luke chapter 1039 tells us. I mean, here's Martha. She's fretting. She's thinking all the work she does. And she's thinking, where's Mary? Where's Mary? Well, here she is in verse 39, Luke 10, 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat. Oh, that was painful. Sat? Why are you sitting? You know, anyway, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And so she's sitting there thinking, this is not a time to sit in here. This is a time to stand and do, you know. (laughs) But then in verse 40, you see there where it says, but Martha was cumbered, it says cumbered, cumbered about, much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Better, therefore, that she help me. Which, uh, I'm, there may have been some other words <laughs> that were said, too, you know. Tell her to get up and do, you know. The word for cumbered here is a unique word. It's only used one time in the Bible. It's only used here, just this one time. It's a very interesting word because it means, because this one I can try to pronounce, paraspeo, paraspeo. Again, fusion of two words, paraspeo. Peri, para, peri, it means, like you would guess, around, like perimeter, you know, peri, all right? Periphery, you know, going around the city of Paris, for example. Peri, it goes around. Peri means it goes around. Okay. Sparrow means to drag, Right? So that's quite a picture. So Martha is saying, you know what I feel like? Said, I, she was cumbered about. She was being dragged all around, is what it means. She was being dragged. There was so much work to do that Martha felt that she was literally being dragged all around the house there trying to get it done, trying to get it done. Number two, she needed help because she was alone, and she felt alone, and that's what she said to the Lord. She said, Lord, don't you care? that my sister hath left me to serve alone. Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. And then, and then she said, she needed help, but she felt overwhelmed, and she felt the burden of this responsibility, and she just being dragged around means you don't even know where to begin. It's just like you put out one fire after another, just what do I got to do next? Because that same word, help, bitter that she helped me, and it has all this meaning here and all this expanded uh, picture because of this scene in Lazarus' house, because that same word is used only one other place where it speaks about the Spirit helps our infirmities. Then in prayer, that gives us a great insight into how the Spirit of God helps us in prayer. 
when we feel like Martha, that when we feel the perispero, when we feel like there's so much, I'm overwhelmed. You know, when we get, we get our, our bulletin here pretty soon, we'll have more people on, people to pray for. I've got to pray for these, then I've got to pray for other people, and then I've got to pray for the country, and can I remember all the congressmen and the president? What was his daughter's name again? And I mean, you know, when all these things just come in like a flood, and we feel like we're being dragged around, the Holy Spirit comes in and he helps us by praying with us not in place of us, but with us, saying, okay. The Holy Spirit says, okay, let's not let the wheels come off your, your bus. <laughs> you know, I'm here to help you. I'm going to help you in prayer. And we feel like, we feel like Martha. We say, oh, I don't know where to begin. The Holy Spirit says, okay, we just start. You just start praying. I'll pray with you. I'll guide you. Just start. We feel like she says, I've got so much responsibility. The Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm right here with you. I'll take the responsibility with you. Let's just go forward. I feel like I'm all alone. I'm all alone. See, that was the other meaning. Lord, she, she left me all alone. You're, the Holy Spirit says, you're not alone. When you sit down and pray or you kneel in prayer, I'm with you. You're not alone. We're doing this together. We have to see ourselves as people who are in need of help. That's our greatest need. See, that was the problem with the Laodicean church. When they said, I have need of nothing, in Revelation 3, what they were saying was, I don't need help. And that's a terrible position to be in. So it's very important that we see we need help. You know, God instilled this into man at the creation because it's so interesting because God, the first thing God recognized about man after he created him was a need. That was the first thing he said in Genesis 2.18 where he said, and the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make him a what? A what? A boat? A helpmate, right. <laughs> Does that make a boat? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's like uh, I remember, I think I remember seeing a boat down at the, in San Diego Bay one time with the name of Dearly Beloved or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> no, not a, okay, I don't know why I heard boat. doesn't matter. But no, I'll make a help. I'll make a help that is appropriate for him. So God looks on man, and he says, you know what I see? I see a man who needs help, not just in a wife, but help from God. I see a person who needs help. And that was, that's how we need to view ourselves, as those who need help. God forbid that we should ever degrade to the place of saying, I don't need God. I have need of nothing. That was Jacob's blessing on Joseph's head, on Jacob's deathbed. When Jacob was a dying, and he was there in the last, second to last chapter of Genesis, in Genesis 49, 25, and he came to, he, to Joseph, he said, you know the, the sterling characteristic of Joseph? He said, he said in Genesis 49, 25, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee? Who has helped thee, Joseph? Who is helping you, Joseph? Who shall help you, jo- Joseph? And by the Almighty, you should bless thee with blessings above and so forth. See, there, there was the great commander and chief of Israel's army at one time, Asaph. And they were being threatened, the armies were being threatened with being absolutely annihilated by their enemies. And Jacob then, I mean, not Jacob, Asa, then as the commander in chief, like George Washington in the picture of him on his knees praying, the commander in chief at that time, Asa, he lifts up his, his voice where he could be heard in 2 Chronicles 14, 11, where we read, and Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and here's what he said, and said, Lord, it's nothing with thee to help. 
whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee in thy name. We go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against us. One word, help. That was the word that Hezekiah used to keep a mutiny from happening, from keeping his own people from running out and surrendering to the 200,000 men who had besieged in Jerusalem. And he lifted up his voice in 2 Chronicles 32.8. 2 Chronicles 32.8, where Hezekiah said, With him, an arm of flesh. But with us, the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battle. See, that's what the enemies of God, that's what the enemies of the people of God use to discourage the people of God. They say the words in Psalm 3, 2, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. See, that, and that's what we use to encourage ourselves in Psalm 46, 1. When we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we're down in the dumps, then that's the time to say the words of David from Psalm 46, 1. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's what makes us happy from Psalm 146, 5. Psalm 146, 5, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord is God. Our greatest help, two areas that we need especially help in, not only prayer, but Isaiah 41, 10, it shows us two areas in particular, where it says, fear thou not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Two things we need. We need strength and we need support or encouragement. Strength, support, or encouragement. And from his words, I am with thee, and the meaning of this pulling together word, this help word, which was about a bitter that she helped me, work together with me, the Spirit of God works together with us, from that comes the meaning of I am with you. See, those are the words that God says to us to lift us out, like in, in Isaiah 41.13. Isaiah 41.13, 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. That's the message from God. That's the message that takes away our fear, is that I will help you. It's also the message that takes away our confusion. Because in Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, For the Lord will help me, Therefore, shall I not be confounded or confused. I won't be confused because God will help me. And it's the single word prayer that's so necessary for us. Lord, help. Help. Single word prayer. It's the, it's the prayer that I, I, I pray as I prepare these lessons for you. Lord, help me. I don't know what to say. I feel like Samson. I feel like Samson with his eyes bored out, you know, <laughs> In, in Judges 16, 28, he had his last prayer. He says, it says in Judges 16, 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. I don't feel quite that way, but sometimes. <laughs> it was the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. From the cross, this was his prayer in Psalm 22. Twice. He says this, Psalm twenty-two, eleven: Be not far from me, for trouble is near, there's none to help. And then in Psalm twenty-two, nineteen: But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. 
See, this is the shining characteristic, as we've said before, of Israel is the, the, the grip. And the grip said, I need help. That was the message of the grip. And that was the characteristic. And God calls to Israel. And he says in, in Isaiah 41, 13, 41, 13, I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy hand, thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Isaiah, and then the next verse says, fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, thy, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, he's going to help us by holding our hand. He's going to help us by becoming our Redeemer. That's great help. And that's what makes Israel so different. And that's, this is what we call out to the Jewish people. We say to the Jewish people the words of Psalm 115.9, O Israel, Trust thou in the Lord. He is your help and shield. He is their help and shield. This is what God, we call this out. God calls it out in Hosea 13, 9, when he says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. That's the message of Genesis 20 here, when we're studying here. This is an Abraham who needed the help of God. This is an Abraham who was helped by God. And what if there was no verse 3? What if there was no verse 3 in Genesis chapter 20? What if there was no verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman shall take his man's will. What if Abraham just lost it all? Because that's what happened. He lost it all. It was all his fault. It was all Abraham's fault. He lost the pleasure of God because he sinned and he lied. And he, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, and Abraham did. It was Abraham's fault that he lost his wife. It was Abraham's fault that he lost his opportunity to fulfill his life's calling, his life's work of becoming the Abraham, father of many nations. It was Abraham's fault that he lost his service for God to bring the seed, to bring the line through which the Messiah would come. It was Abraham's fault that he lost his testimony before his household. It was Abraham's fault that he lost his witness before Abimelech and his people. It was all Abraham's fault. But there's a verse 3. There's a verse 3 in Genesis 20. And this is, this is the big point of verse 3. It's the help of God. It was by God's help of verse 3 that Abraham regained the pleasure of God and confessed his sin. It was by God's help of verse 3 that Abraham didn't lose his wife. It was by God's help in verse 3 that Abraham didn't lose his opportunity to have the seed and bring the Messiah. It was by God's help in verse 3 that Abraham became the fulfillment of his name, the father of many nations. It was Abraham's help from God that he didn't lose his service, that he didn't lose his testimony, that he didn't lose his witness. And it's our fault that you and I have sinned and set ourselves on a course of hell. It's our fault that we lost heaven. It's our fault that we lost God and everything good. But it was by God's help and the cross that we didn't lose, just like Abraham. It was regained. So in verse 3, 
Here's Abimelech. So we can picture Abimelech here. And he's just, you know, he's just getting ready for a good night's sleep. You know, you can picture this poor guy. He has no idea what's coming. You know, he's, can't you picture him there? He's fluffing up his pillow, you know, making sure of the comfy bed. And, and his servants are saying, sweet dreams, you know. And, and, and so he goes down to the middle of his REM. You know, he's really, he's really into this sleep. He's just having a great sleep. And, and all of a sudden, he's got this dream, and he sees God, and he hears God say to him, you are a dead man. <laughs> it's not a good night. <laughs> you, are but, you are only a dead man, God says to him. That'll disturb anybody's sleep. And this was a very direct statement of God. This is rather blunt, okay? <laughs> You're a dead man. That's blunt. And especially when God peppers it all with behold, you know, like, well, take a look at this, you know, uh, open up your eyes, see this, you are dead. But when God said to him, but, meaning that he was only a dead man, he was saying to him that I- I'm going to communicate something to you, de- you know, dead man, <laughs> communicate to you, Abimelech, it's a, a very straight message. It really doesn't say dead, you were dying, you were about to die obviously. And Abimelech didn't, you know, get up and say, you know, there must be some other interpretation to what God just told me. (laughs) Maybe I need a different version. You know, some other meaning to what God said to me, behold, thou art but a dead man. Maybe we have to redefine it. Maybe maybe it's allegorical, you know. It's maybe something else. When we study carefully what God did with Abimelech in these verses, we learn a lot about God. Because what's interesting here is how God communicated with Abimelech, because it's a pattern for how God communicates with everyone, including us. And so, so we want to, so, you know, what's very interesting here is to, to look at this. The first thing we see about how God communicated is, it is like we already said, is very blunt, straight terms. He laid out clearly for Abimelech the problem, the issue. I think I may have told you this. I got this friend, Dr. Chaim, uh, Chaim. <laughs> that's part of the problem. Dr. Chaim Sheraton, who is a very important position. He's a chief of nephrology at New York Hospital in Queens. And Chaim is from um, Poland. He's a survivor of the Holocaust. And so therefore, when he came to this country as a boy, no one could pronounce his name. It was in Polish. You know, it had all those letters. And so he decided to choose a name that Americans could pronounce. So he chose Chaim. <laughs> and then he learns Americans can't pronounce Chaim. He got, should have chosen John or anyway. But, you know... Chaim is, it has a very characteristic thing that he does. And I learned this one time when I was with him. As I remember being in a meeting of nephrologists there at the hospital, I was going to speak at their grand rounds on parathyroid hormone and renal bone disease. And we were all waiting for, you know, for Chaim to come in. He was the last one to come in. We're all sitting, all this. And, and in walks Chaim. He, and I remember he opens the door, and, and he already starts to say this before, when he's outside the room. And he's, like, he's walking in, and he's opening the door, and he's saying this. And he goes, he goes, what's the issue? What's the issue? What's the issue? <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I was like, it was like Mr. Magoo, you know, what's the issue? What's the issue? You know, so he comes in there saying this, what's the issue? And, and you know, and he, has this, he has a lot of responsibility. He's worried. He's a, because a nephrologist has a group of patients that he's in charge of called the ESRD patients. That stands for end-stage renal disease. So the nephrologist is dealing with a disease which is called end-of-the-road, end-stage. And that's very difficult. You know, the, just, the nephrologist knows that when he goes into a dialysis clinic and looks at his clinic and he sees 100 beds there, he knows that in a year, 20 to 25 of those beds are going to be empty because the people are going to die. 
So the life of nephrologist is filled with crisis, critical situations. And the chief of nephrology, which he is, has all the chief critical situations coming to him to deal with. So that's why he's constantly walking around. He opens the door, what's the issue? What's the issue? What's the issue? He wants to know what the issue is. In other words, he's saying, don't take up my time with a lot of words. Just give me the essential message. Just boil it down to the least number of words. And that's what God's doing here in verse 3. He stated the issue very succinctly, neatly. Every morning when we come to God in, in our devotions, we should ask God. We open the Bible and say, what's the issue? That's what we want to know. And so what we see God, so we God saying to Abimelech, the issue. The issue is you're a dead man. Apart from that, you're fine. You know? <laughs> and whenever any person outside the Lord Jesus Christ comes to God and says, what's the issue? God responds very directly, very straightly. The issue is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. That includes you. The issue is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you got coming to you. The issue is Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You are a soul that sinned, you will die. The issue is Revelations 20.15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. That's you. See, those, those are God's very direct statements to man. And in those statements, God is saying to all men the same message, behold, thou art but a dead man. Now we see in verse three that God is speaking and then God stops at the end of this verse. And when God stops speaking in verse three, then what happens is that God waits for a response. He doesn't keep on going. He doesn't say, okay, the issue is a dead man. you're a dead man, but you have to go do this and you have to go uh, restore and ask and get prayed for and you live. I don't do that. He stops in verse three and he waits for a response. That's the way it is with lost man. God speaks about the issue of sin and judgment, and then God just waits for a response. And in between these verses, three and four, is Abimelech's decision of whether or not he's going to respond to God. And after a lost person has heard God state the issue, it's now up to the lost person to make his decision of what it's going to be. You know, Abimelech could have ignored the message. He could have just said, ah, oh, you know what, I had a bad dream. What did you guys serve me to eat anyways? It was terrible, something I ate. He could have done that. He could have hardened his heart. He could have taken the fatal Pharaoh position in Exodus 5.2, where it says, and Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. But in verse 4, we're told that Abimelech, he responds. First of all, it says he hadn't come near her. Why didn't he come near her? We don't know. We don't need to know. <laughs> we don't need those details about why he didn't come near Sarah. He might have been preoccupied with something that was heavy on his mind. He might have had, by Chaim's charity, he might have had some crisis, you know, in his kingdom. Might have had some disease that made him not able to come near her. After We don't know the details. We're not told the why, but we are told the reason in verse 6. And God said to him, I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore, I suffer thy not to touch her. See, we're told in verse 6 the, the reason and Abimelech had not come near because God had withheld or held Abimelech back. What a picture that is. Withheld says a lot. The word hasak is a Hebrew word for withheld here. It's the same word. You hold back the rod from the child, spoil him. Now, this is the word, the, the same word, which is used in the negative sense, but it's so important. It's really a theme of Genesis chapter 22 when we come to it because it was what God was looking for and found 
in Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Because it says in Genesis twenty two twelve, and he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld, chasak, same word, thy son, thine only son from me. He said later in Genesis 22, verse 16, thou hast, hast not withheld, chasak, thine only son. See, it's, it's not Hebrew, but it's Greek, but it's the same meaning in Romans 8, 32. He who spared not, withheld, back not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all, all things? Isaiah 53, 10 is this meaning. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He didn't hold him back. He didn't chasak. He didn't hold him back. He hath put him to grief. Abimelech wanted to come near her. He wanted to touch Sarah, but God held him back. And God put out his hand and said, no, you're not going to do that. And if we could only see the sins that we would commit were it not for the hand of God holding us back. That's what God does. That's who God is. That's his character. That's what he does. He holds us back from sin. Well, we've run out of time. So next week, we'll continue on in this uh, conversation between Abimelech and God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording all this for us so that we can learn more about Jesus. We can learn about you, Lord. We can love you more. We can worship you more. We can trust you more. And we can say to you, help, Lord. Thank you for hearing us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051.